Bonus Spirits podcast, a boozy dive into mythology, legends, and folklore. Every week we pour a drink and learn about a new story from around the world. I'm Amanda. And I'm Julia. And this is episode 320, where, what's that I hear? Are those the hooves of the, the chariots of Odin? Ooh, well, Amanda, here's the thing. After really like an awesome response that we got to our It's All Greek to Me series last year, I really wanted to do something that was kind of like a similar deep dive into another pantheon uh, and kind of give it the same treatment. And we got a lot of really good feedback about what people want to see if we did another series like that. And almost overwhelmingly, people asked for Norse mythology. Ooh. So we are introducing here, drumroll, please. <laughs> Schneider, now, if, if you can do better than my tongue drum roll, please go ahead. But, you know, it's just an option for you. We are introducing It's Norse, of course. Wee! And because we are starting a new series, we have to start with one of the most important figures in Norse beliefs, the big man himself, Odin. Oh, baby. Is Odin the fuck father of Norse mythology? Let's find out. Mm, we'll talk about it because I feel like a lot of people will make comparisons to him with Zeus, but we will we'll talk about the, the differences there. But of course, we will need a little bit of background on the world of the Norse gods since it's been quite a while since we kind of touched on the minutia of this mythology. So let's get a little background of the Norse gods as a whole before we dive deeper into who Odin is himself. Hell yeah. All right. So a little aside before I go further, I, I want to acknowledge that as we start to talk about Norse mythology, that a lot of white supremacists have kind of tried to co-op these beliefs and incorporate them into their own. And this is something that I want people to keep in mind as we go through these episodes. Like we are in no way, I want to say explicitly, trying to platform any sort of hateful ideology here on the show. Our goal is always to examine mythology through our own like modern queer feminist lens. But I think it's important for us to acknowledge that some people have tried to corrupt this mythology for their own twisted purposes. And we're not going to allow that here. That shit doesn't fly here. Does not fly here. We will not allow it. Yeah. Also, they don't get to uh, take all of uh, Norse mythology. We we get to uh, examine it, make it queer, make it feminist, be a Jew on the microphone right, right over here. So, you know, it's... Uh, the one little way we can fight back. Yeah. Fuck yeah. And now, that being said, let's talk about the world of the Norse gods. As we've talked about in past episodes, North mythology is, is very cyclical in a way. There's a clear beginning for the gods known as Voluspa and a clear ending, which is Ragnarok. So there are also, important for us to know, three groups or kinds of beings. There are the Aesir, who live in Asgard. Most of the gods that we'll be talking about in this series are part of the Asir, though there is like a few exceptions to this, which we will discuss in later episodes. There's also the Vanir, who are gods similar to the Aesir, but are like basically from a different lineage, if that makes sense. And they live on Vanaheimir. It's worth noting that there are stories of like a war between the Vanir and the Asir, and eventually that led to the Vanir being somewhat subsumed into a subgroup of the Asir. Kind of worth thinking like, oh, yes, these are two different groups who eventually were kind of combined into one. I'm glad for that, Julia, because I do hear the word Vanir, and all I can think about is ugly kitchen cabinets. So. <laughs> 
It happens. It does. It does. I'm sorry. There is another notable group, which is the Jotnar. The plural form of Jotnar is Jotun. And there's a lot of times translating Jotun to English, giant is used, though there's no implication in the original Norse that the Jotun were giants in the same sense that we would use it in English, right? So actually, a more accurate translation would be devourer, since that is seemingly the origin of the Norse word from the Proto-Germanic. So I Hmm. love the idea of devour, very evocative, big fan of it as a whole. Hell yeah. And it's also important to know that the Jotun were not considered gods in the same way as the Asir and the Vanir are. So when we are talking about the Norse gods and Norse mythology as a whole, we're usually pulling from these two main sources. There's the Poetic Edda and the Prose Edda. A little background for those, the Poetic Edda definitely came first. It was written around 1200 CE by an unknown author. We love an unknown author here on the podcast. Unknown, Julia, has so many of my favorite books. I do remember, side note, having a couple novels like Go Ask Alice and others that are, um, you know, in theory, anonymous and shelf and looking at them and being like, okay, do I do I file them in my library under A for anonymous or S for Beatrix Sparks, the quote unquote editor who actually had an ideology and just made the shit up? Incredible. Um, Yeah. Questions that plagued me as a child. Amanda, I appreciate where your priorities were as a child. (laughs) That's all I have to say about that. Mm hmm. So this unknown author basically collected stories that had survived the spread of Christianity across Europe two centuries prior. Again, a very lol, it's not pagan, it's fine situation. Mm -hmm. Now, the Poetic Edda was made up of 30 poems, which recounted the stories of gods, dwarves, elves, and human heroes. It's also somewhat important to know that, like much like we discussed with the codification of mythology with Jacob Grimm and the Wild Hunt, that this one person wrote down stories that were sourced from different people and different sources. So there are some contradictory stories and tales in the Poetic Edda. That's just kind of what happens when you're pulling from a bunch of different sources and people have different versions. Totally. And gives us more to think and talk about and wonder why those differences exist and what they say about the source material. And, Amanda, we have even more to kind of compare and contrast here because other than the Poetic Edda, we have the Prose Edda. And we actually do know the author of the Prose Edda. That's Snorri Sturlson. He was a legal figure and scholar, and he had assembled versions of stories that he had seen in the Poetic Edda around 1222 CE. So only like 20 years after the estimated time that the Poetic Edda was put together. That seems pretty unusual to me. Yeah, I know. It's like a short amount of time for the time period. Because again, like, it's not the internet, Amanda. We didn't have time. Like, he didn't just automatically get that source, you know? (laughs) He had to wait for it to be published and then spread out and then find a copy and then be like, oh, I know these stories. Let me write them. Incredible. It's just such a um, relatable impulse to me to be like, you know what? You know all these things I've, like, heard swirling around? Let me catalog them. Which is why librarians (laughs) at the best. Librarians, they're the best. So Snorri was very much interested in preserving these stories, but also in the style of storytelling when creating his version of the tales. So he 
as we like to say, took a lot of poetic license with it. Mm -hmm. So the prose Edda is much more coherent than the poetic Edda, because again, the poetic Edda is just like a compilation of these stories that were found by our unknown author. But the prose Edda is also organized more linearly. So it begins with the Voluspa, which is the creation, and ends with Ragnarok, which is the destruction of the world. However, much like the poetic Edda, it also has some of those contradictions in it that we have to kind of acknowledge as we go forward, being like, oh, well, one story said that and the other one said the other thing. It's just because different people were telling those stories. And that's fine. Yeah. So keep in mind, though, that the Poetic Edda is sort of the closest that we have to primary sources when it comes to Norse mythology as a whole, while the Prose Edda is more like Snorri Sturluson's retelling of the tales, which sort of like puts together these untied stories into one narrative. So because we are pulling from these two sources, let's start with what the Prose Edda says the creation started with. Okay? Yes. So the prose Edda says, before there was soil or sky or any green thing, there was only a gaping abyss. Hmm. Get Dr. McTeer on the line. That seems about right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it was a chaos of perfect silence and darkness that lay between the land of fire, which was Muspelheim, and the land of ice, which was Niflheim. Yes, that's where Tom Hiddleston lives. That is. That's where Tom Hiddleston was from. <laughs> so the flames of Muspelheim and the ice of Niflheim crept towards each other until they met in the abyss. And when the fire met the ice, it melted and created Ymir, the first of the godlike but destructive giants. Again, we're using giants as the English translation. He wasn't like actually a giant. So Ymir, as he slept, gave birth to giants and gods from the sweat of his armpits and the crook of his legs. Gross, but right on. Gross, but we love it. As more of the frost of Niflheim began to melt, a cow known as Odhomla, which is, means an abundance of humming, which I'm oh, obsessed shit. with. Yeah. Best name for a cow I've ever seen emerged and fed Ymir her milk. So she also apparently, I love this little detail, licked the apparently salty ice of Niflheim and from her licking revealed Buri, who was the first Aesir. Dang, that's amazing. So Buri had a son named Bor, though how or who might have birthed him is kind of lost to us through the translations. But Bor married the daughter of one of Ymir's giants, whose name was Bestla, and the half-god, half-giant children born of this union were Vili and V, and of course, the man of the hour, Odin. Mm. I'm picturing this whole family just living on like an open tundra with like flames in the background. I'm sure they had a house and stuff, but gosh, what a cinematic beginning. Yes. And like Odin existed before the world as we know it existed. It's amazing. So he's been around a while. Who knew Anthony Hopkins is that old? Yeah. I know, right? I'm sorry. I'm not going to do this the entire time we do It's Norse, of course, but it's it's hard to shake, at least in this beginning. I get it. I mean, honestly, like a lot of the characters that we're going to talk about in it's Norse, of course. A lot of the gods that we're going to talk about in It's Norse, of course, don't play a huge role in the Marvel movies franchises. So it's fine. I'll shake it. It's fine. Um, but I do encourage everybody to imagine Tessa Thompson whenever the word Valkyrie comes out. <laughs> just just for your own like happiness. Just you for know, your own edification. That's fine. Don't worry mm -hmm, about it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So Amanda, now that we've introduced Odin, who is Odin? Uh, he's also known as Woden, Wotan, or Wothan. In English, we translate his name to mean the mad one. And much like in English, it has a little bit of a double meaning. It's both mad as in angry and also mad as in kind of like mad hatter crazy. And in many ways, we're going to discover that it does quite suit him. 
for a lot of reasons, but he is also known as the Allfather, and you'll be able to recognize him in a lot of artwork from his single eye. Usually he's wearing an eye patch in a lot of other art, and he's long beard. We often see him wearing a cloak and occasionally a helmet, and most art of him has him accompanied by two ravens on his shoulder, a thing we'll talk about in a little bit, and two wolves at his feet. And as we mentioned in the Wild Hunt, Odin's land is Valhalla, the Hall of the Dead, and he collects dead warriors to join his army. Now, Julia, we talk often about the two wolves inside each of us, but we haven't talked about the two ravens on each of our shoulders, and I just think the internet as a whole needs to get on that. Yes, two wolves, a little bit racist, trying to uh, like co-opt basically Native American traditions. Mm -hmm. Two ravens on your shoulder, though. Hey, give it a try. Eh? Eh? <laughs> so I know we talk a lot about Greek mythology here on Spirits. It's something that we do very often. And because of his role in the gods, we might be tempted to conflate Zeus and Odin, right? But Odin, definitely not Zeus. Odin kind of holds himself apart from the other gods. He does not, like, enjoy the revelry of being powerful the way that someone like Zeus does. He's very serious. He only speaks in verse, which is a fantastic little part <laughs> that I need wow. to know. He does not eat. He only drinks mead and wine. And much of the way that Odin acts has to do with the prophecy that he received about Ragnarok, which we'll talk a little bit about later, and his focus on trying to hold off the destruction of the world. Because So basically, Odin's whole vibe is like, I know something bad is happening. I'm trying to do everything within my power to make it stop. All of you stop bothering me. This is sounding much more relatable than Zeus has ever been. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all want to kind of just party hard on Mount Olympus any day of the week. But at the same time, like Odin is like what we are after we graduate college and we need to be responsible human beings now. That's what Odin's whole vibe is. <laughs> yes. Odin's like, I'm the man of the house now. I have to take care of things. Odin's like, I've, I've been parentified too young. What's happening to me? <laughs> So let's talk a little bit about the important relationships for Odin. Mostly it is his relationship with his wife Frigg and then the rest of the Aesir. So from his marriage to Frigg and his children, he really is like the all-father. He is the father of all of the gods and men and everything that he and his powers created, right? So his kin are those who inhabit ancient Asgard. His bloodline is the Aesir. And Odin has two sons for sure, though sources say that more call Odin father. But these are the ones that we know for certain Odin is the like direct bloodline father too. Gotcha. So the first is probably the one that most people have heard about, which is Thor, who was his son by Jord, who is the embodiment of the earth and Odin's both daughter and wife. Mm -hmm. Again, much like we talked about with the, the Greeks. It's fine. It's not weird. <laughs> Thor, as you can imagine, is a, a mighty and strong god. He famously is said to dominate every living creature because he's Thor. So why not? Mm -hmm. uh, and we've covered Thor a lot on this show. So I'm going to tell you more about Odin's other son, Baldur, who unfortunately is defined mostly in the stories that we have record of by his death. Oh, man. Yes. But we'll talk about that in a later episode because Baldur is a catalyst for a lot of things that happen in Norse mythology. All right. Listen, there's worse ways to be remembered, which is not. Yes, 100%. That's true. Uh, and also, just like a little aside, Balder, god of light, beautiful, just, and that's what we know about him. I mean, sounds great. <laughs> exactly. Going back to Snorri Sturlson for a second, Snorri also refers to Heimdall, Bragi, Tyr, and Hodor 
as the sons of Odin, but this might be like a metaphorical thing rather than a literal reading of the stories, or he's the father in the sense that Odin is the all-father. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So Odin has several animal companions, some of which we have talked about before. There are the two ravens, which we're very excited about. That's Hugin, which is thought, and Munin, which is memory. And they fly around the world and report back what they see to Odin. Absolute legends. I, I love them so much. One, I think ravens are incredible creatures. I don't want to own a raven, but I want to be friends with a raven because one, oh, yeah. you shouldn't be able to own birds, in my opinion. Don't own birds. But two, I just, I, I want to be Odin in this sense. I want my birds to come and tell me the things they saw. Yeah, it's that real childhood fantasy of like, you know, as a horse girl, you want to like walk into the barn and have all the horses, you, you know, know who you are and, and nuzzle you, be excited to see you. My entire life would be made if that happened to me uh, with a raven. And I walk outside and the raven is like, ah, yes, here's a little nickel I gathered for you. Ah, yes, show here is my, my special nest. Ah, yes, let me accompany you on your journey. It would be perfect. I love that for you. And also speaking of horse girl, the next one we'll talk about is one that we've talked about plenty on the show, which is the eight-legged horse Sleepnir, Sleepnir, who is the child of Loki and is also Odin's steed. Yeah. And then, as I mentioned before, he had uh, two wolves, which were Jerry and Frecky. Jerry is not spelled the same way the, uh, <laughs> the English name is. And I'm I was pretty wondering. sure that's right, but, <laughs> but it's G-E-R-I. So we would also be remiss not to talk about the Valkyries, not Tessa Thompson. As, even though we love hot Tessa Thompson, the Valkyries were Odin's attendants and they were the residents of Valhalla. While in Valhalla, they basically act as like waiters in the halls of Valhalla, waiting tables and keeping the drinks flowing. But on the mortal battlefield, when they are called, they decide who wins and who dies and they carry back the brave dead to Valhalla to join Odin's ranks. Incredible. I just love a waitress who can also do battle real good. That's nice. <laughs> I'm into that. I'm sure most people who work in customer service out there and food service specifically would be like, uh, yeah, that's kind of half the job. I was going to say, I think all food service people now who like make that their lives, I'm like, you're just a Valkyrie in my mind. Seriously. Yeah. You could fight anyone who comes in here. A thousand percent. It was said that in battle, a doomed hero was said to see, quote, maidens excellent in beauty, riding their steeds in shining armor, solemn and deep in thought with their white hands beckoning. Beautiful. Yeah. I would be like, you know what? I'm sad I'm dead, but if I get to go with this hot lady, so be it, man. So be it. Julia, there's many worse ways to go. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So with this background on Odin and Norse mythology as a whole, we can explore some more of his stories. But first, let's grab a refill. Let's do it. Hello, everybody. Welcome over here to The Refill. Aren't you enjoying this new installment of It's Norse, of course? I certainly am. And one of the amazing things about the way the show has grown over the years is that we have the ability to plan a year-long series like this. We have lovely researchers who help Julia with the research to bring these episodes to life. And all of that is made possible because of the support you, our conspirators, give us on Patreon. And we talk about Patreon a lot, but I wanted to just like go through all of the ways that you can support the show, the tiers you can join. Okay, so at four 
$4 a month, just $4 a month. That's like one cold brew. You get director's commentary notes for every single episode. Julia puts together bullet points and images and jokes and links and stuff you can enjoy, what we were drinking, how we were feeling, funny stories from behind the recording, plus a bonus Urban Legends episode every single month. That's like not just Weekly Spirits, but Weekly Spirits plus a bonus episode. Amazing. Next, at just $8 a month, you get ad-free episodes. So you get to skip this mineral. Fine. I'm not going to be that offended. That's okay. And downloadable recipe cards with both alcoholic and non-alcoholic drinks for every episode. We have done 320 sets of downloadable recipe cards. That's 600 and quick 42 recipe cards. So, so many. At $16 a month, this is our most popular tier, actually, you get to watch or listen to our monthly advice video podcast where Julia and I sit down and answer even more of your advice questions. Advice from Folklore is coming back to the feed soon, but you don't have to wait because we've done a bunch of these so far. Plus, you get 10% off Spirits merch and all of the benefits we've already talked about. But also, you can get at $28 a month a tarot reading and vibe check audio dispatch every single season that Julia gives us plus everything we've talked about from the previous tiers. That's like one fancy takeout dinner and you get a tarot reading straight from Julia to give us all a vibe check and a way that we should be thinking about stuff to focus on for the season ahead. But if that's not enough, at $40 a month, you get thanked by name as a supporting producer level patron on every single episode and all the benefits before. Then finally, at $100 a month, now we have a limited number of these, all right, and several of them are already gone. You can get a personalized tarot reading from Julia. So in addition to that earlier one, the group vibe check audio dispatch, you get a personalized note from Julia. There's text, there's an image of the spread she made for you on her lovely, beautiful patterned carpet and also audio of her reading and explaining the draw to you and all those benefits from previous tiers. We've worked hard to make our Patreon something that gives you added value, that makes you happy and gives you one-on-one -on -one time with us and, you know, more content that you love while still letting the bulk of the show the whole show, in fact, be free for everybody to enjoy. And again, it's your support there that lets us do things like hire a researcher, pay ourselves, take time to do planning and start new series like It's Norse, of course. So thank you to everybody who supports us already. Thank you to our supporting producer level patrons. Hey, who one of whose benefits is being named. And if you want to join, please go to patreon.com slash spirits podcast. means all the meaning in the world that you pledge some money each month to support a podcast that you love. We love you right back. So before we move on, thank you to our supporting producer level patrons, Alicia, Ann, Brittany, Fruity Chick, Hannah, Jack Marie, Jane, Jessica Stewart, Measlekins, Lily, Megan Moon, Nathan, Phil Fresh, Rico Like, Captain Jonathan, Malachi, Cosmos, Sarah, Scott, and Zazie, and the legend level patrons who've gotten two of their seasonal individual tarot readings so far. Ariana, Audra, Bex, Chibi, Yokai, Clara, Morgan, Sarah, Schmitty, and BMEF Scotty. I am here for our recommendation to tell you that you've got to watch Pressure Cooker on Netflix. It is Big Brother meets Survivor meets Top Chef, and I couldn't love it more. There has never been a show more designed for all of the Amandas in the world. And that's all I'm going to say. If uh, if you share interest in any of those reality shows, in competition shows, in cooking, in politics, like between players on a competition show, it is absolutely perfect. And uh, tweet me or tag me on Insta. Let's talk about it. 
We're also doing some really exciting stuff over on Join the Party, the actual play podcast that Julia and I co-host along with Brandon Grugel and Eric Silver, our DM. We welcome everyone to the table, whether you have been playing RPGs like Dungeons and Dragons for your whole life, or if you've never touched a role-playing game before, we teach you how to play. We have a high fantasy story. We have a modern superhero story. We have a haunted summer camp story. Literally everything you could enjoy. And no matter which adventure you choose to start with, hang out with us each month in our after party, which is where we all chat and discuss the campaigns, joke around and answer your questions. It's amazing. I'm so proud of the work we're doing there. And we're starting a brand new campaign next week. So come on board at jointhepartypod.com start or subscribe to join the party in your podcast app. We are sponsored this week by Calm. If you wake up in the morning and you're like, oh no, (laughs) I just, I want to get back in the bed. I want to be a blanket cocoon once more. Or you have a long day at work and there's still more to do. Or you're just like commuting or walking somewhere or just overwhelmed and like, oh gosh, if only I could, you know, take a little moment, a little oasis of Calm. I have good news for you. Calm is an app that helps you stress less, sleep more, and have a happier, healthier life. They have guided meditation sleep stories, relaxing music tracks, and daily movement sessions, all designed to give you the tools to improve the way you feel. Over 100 million people around the world use Calm, including me. And for someone like me who was kind of scared to be alone with my own thoughts, Calm was a really lovely way to start getting into meditations, to enjoy those train sleep stories, and calm my mind. For listeners of the show, Calm is offering an exclusive offer of 40% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash spirits. Go to calm.com slash spirits for 40% off unlimited access to Calm's entire library. That's calm.com slash spirits. And finally, we are brought to you by BetterHelp. I love my therapist. And I love talking to her each week because it is time where my only job is talking and thinking about how I feel and getting help for feeling better and having somebody there on my side whose only focus in that moment is thinking about how I'm doing and what I need and how we as a team can work together to help me enjoy my life better and moreover show up for my friends and family and colleagues and myself in a in a better way and when I'm feeling low and overwhelmed and stressed I know I'm not bringing my best self to any of the things I do in my life and that makes me feel worse and it's a terrible spiral and I hate it so therapy is what I turn to for help in those moments and if you are thinking of giving therapy a try but you can't find someone nearby but it seems too expensive but your insurance is like a jerk and doesn't cover mental health, or you want privacy and you want to do it privately via chat or via voice or via video and not like go somewhere and do it, think about trying BetterHelp. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com spirits today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com spirits. And now back to the show. Now, Julia, not to criticize you, but I do think this drink would taste a little bit better if a Valkyrie in the visage of Tessa Thompson delivered it to me. Just just a note. Just a note. You would be correct, Amanda. 100%. (laughs) She would do it perfectly, too, because so we're going to be doing a lot of mead cocktails in these episodes, I have a feeling, since mead is so intrinsically tied to Norse culture and mythology. And we'll do a little mead story later on in the episode. But the cocktail that I picked for Odin is one that has whiskey, mead, and this is where we need the Valkyrie to deliver it perfectly to your table, a floater of red wine. 
because you need steady hands to make sure that doesn't mix in too well. And I think that really captures the complexity of who Odin is. Incredible. So now with these in hand, let's tell the stories of Odin. Uh, the first is harken back to the origin of Odin. As I mentioned before, Odin was the grandson of the giant Ymir. In true mythological fashion, Odin and his two brothers end up killing Ymir and created the world as we know it out of his body. It's going to be a little gory, the description I'm about to do, so just heads up for that. But basically, they tore Ymir into massive pieces and a vast deluge of blood burst forth. This blood became the world's oceans and the wave of blood swept away all of the other giants, except for one family who escaped on a wooden ark. Okay, seeing some similarities. I'm very curious. Now, this is really interesting because, again, the Poetic Edda, as we talked about before, is a series of stories that were said to predate the spread of Christianity through Europe, right? Mm -hmm. But again, this is two centuries before they were collected. So does this kind of like Bible Ark Noah story, is this a lol, it's not pagan, it's fine thing where we're seeing some sort of like syncretism there? Or do you think that much like we talked about in the World Floods episodes all the way back when, that they had a flood story before the spread of Christianity through Europe. I've got to think a flood story is common to almost all places, especially in a region um, so inherently linked to water. So that's kind of where I put my bets. Okay, good. I just I was curious to see what your thought was on that. I don't have a yeah. strong opinion one way or the other, and I'm probably leaning more towards you. But I I was just very curious in that moment. I was like, that's a that's a great question. I should ask mm. that. <laughs> so the giant. And his family who escaped on this wooden ark, this giant named Bergelmir, they would later be the kind of progenitor for all of the later giants that we see in the stories of Norse mythology. So Odin and his brothers then made the land out of Ymir's corpse. They used his teeth and broken bones to form the stones and the mountains. They used the dome of his skull to form the sky, and even his thoughts formed clouds. So it was said that thin and wispy clouds were Ymir's good thoughts, while the dark and brooding ones were his bad. Hell yeah. Isn't that beautiful? I love that so much. So beautiful. That clouds are thoughts. Oh, God, so good. <laughs> they called the world that they created Midgard, and they encircled it with a mighty barrier made out of Ymir's either eyelashes or eyebrows. It depends on the translation. And they also, at the same time, made their own realm Asgard. So Asgard and Midgard, among the nine worlds, became known as Inengard, which meant that they were places of protection that were ruled by the gods, specifically the Aesir. Hmm. The other realms, such as Jotunheim, Hell, and others, Hell with one L, not two, mm -hmm. were known as the Utengard, which means beyond the enclosure, which I think is really, really beautiful. I love translations. Oh, so good. <laughs> and I'm sure that we're missing a lot of this. Like one of the things that I took away most from studying the Torah in conversion class is the amount of wordplay that there is in Hebrew. Yeah. And I just, you know, totally like good translations can, of course, put some of that back in. But there was so much in just even like the first couple paragraphs of Genesis where I was like, oh, my God, like every single word is super intentional and has a really interesting meaning that completely skipped my mind when reading like the King James Bible. Amanda, exactly. And that's what I like about this kind of stuff. Like a good translation is poetic in the way that was intended. And a bad translation is just like a 
were just reading it, the literal translation of a thing. So I love that you brought that up. Thank you. So because Asgard and Midgard as this like joint Inengard were kind of separated from the rest of the realms, this kind of pissed off the Jotun because they were basically cast out into the darkness of Utengard and they basically hold a grudge against Asgard and Midgard and they want to conquer it. So this is kind of this sort of like exterior antagonism that is kind of prevalent throughout Norse mythology. Mm -hmm. So Amanda, Odin and his brothers also created the first man and woman. No way. Yeah, there you go. So one day while walking along the seashore, they found two trees, an ash tree and an elm tree, right? From these trees, they created the first man, Ask or Ash, and the first woman, which was Embla or Elm. Beautiful. They like literally, they're like, uh, you're an ash <laughs> tree. We're going to name you Ash. You are an elm tree. We're going to name you Elm. Great. We'll make it work. As a kid, I always really wished that my name were um, something related to nature. Like I, thought, I always thought Rowan was the most beautiful yeah. name. Um, so jelly. So Odin gave these two their spirit and their life. Vili gave them understanding and the power of movement. And V gave them clothing and names. And from these two, all races of man who lived in Midgard would be born. It's really interesting. I love that it was kind of a group project. And does this does this mean that like they were the first human beings or they were the first instances of like gender in Norse mythology? I think this is like the first mortal beings because we had gender. Actually, really interesting. I, I didn't talk about it exactly, but the way that Ymir is portrayed is like, I'm not sure if they describe him specifically as hermaphroditic because he wasn't, or at least like he was asexual in the way that like plants can sprout buds. So his gender, while we use like he, him pronouns for Ymir, like he wasn't like just like a dude who needed a woman to procreate. You know what I mean? Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Good. As it should be. Yeah. People who don't belong to the binary are godly. Exactly. Good question, though, Amanda. I appreciate that. I talked earlier about a prophecy that Odin received that he actively spends most of the mythology trying to prevent happening, right? So this is actually the first story from the poetic Edda, which is called the Voluspa. This essentially recounts the beginning of the world that we just discussed, as well as the first war between the Aesir and the Vanir by this seer or wise woman known as a vulva. Not the anatomical part, not a car, but rather <laughs> the vulva, a, a seer or a wise woman. So she then turns to Odin to further prove her wisdom, some of his secrets she tells him and details of his search for knowledge that he has not disclosed to many others. And Odin kind of recognizes the truth of her words. And so he's like, go on. And she goes on to tell him the true prophecy that he had come there for, which lays out the final destruction of the gods, which is Ragnarok. And it is this prophecy that motivates Odin's actions in many of the stories in Norse mythology. So important to know. I wonder if Odin never laid in bed and been like, God, I never should have gone. God, what if I didn't know? <laughs> I mean, Amanda, we talk about like hubris and prophecy in Greek mythology all the time. And yeah, I feel you. Sometimes even if you decided, oh, I, I wish I hadn't gone because then I wouldn't know, you still would have somehow stumbled upon it one way or another. That's true. Prophecy is not like 
I'm chill. I'm here if you're ready. <laughs> Prophecy is like, uh, no, you're you're coming. We're doing this. Perhaps one of the most well-known or important stories of Odin is the story of how he lost his eye. As we talked about before, he is normally portrayed either with an eye patch or with one eye. So in his pursuit of knowledge, Odin had traveled to the well of Mimir, which was in the roots of the sacred tree Yggdrasil. So Yggdrasil was where the gods held their daily court, and it was said that its branches spread out over the world and reach up over heaven. And at the well of Mimir dwelled the Vanir, again, Mimir is his name, Mm -hmm. uh, whose cosmic knowledge was even greater than that of Odin's. Wow. That's saying something. That is. Odin realized that Mimir achieved his powers by drinking the waters of the well, and so asked the veneer if he could take a sip as well, right? Sure, makes sense. I mean, it's nice to ask. Yeah. Exactly. So Mimir agrees, like, of course you can drink from the well, but only if Odin sacrificed one of his eyes as payment. Thirsty for the powers that the well possessed, Odin agreed, gouged out an eye, tossed it into the well before drinking from the waters. All right. All right. Listen, I think that it's a really interesting dynamic that we don't often talk about in mythology that knowledge requires sacrifice. Power requires sacrifice. And Norse mythology, especially the stories of Odin, really hone in on that and make it like very clear from the beginning. Like if you want to be as powerful as someone like Odin, you need to make the sacrifices that Odin makes. And we'll talk about the next sacrifice that he makes because it's a big one. But one eye comparatively, not as intense as what he goes on to do. Wow, I can't imagine what's next. But I I think that's really fascinating. And it's a sort of difference or philosophy that I'll be tracking throughout these episodes. Um, is thinking about power as something you are owed versus power as something you earn or something you give up, like a burden that you bear uh, in exchange for other burdens or a like pleasure that you revel in. I, I think it's a, a very... A very interesting theme. Yeah. And I mean, if we think about Odin, like the burden that Odin bears throughout the entirety of Norse mythology is the knowledge that the world is going to end and that he is going to die. And that is like what colors him so much. He doesn't get up to shenanigans because he's got more important things to do. And that's I mean, that's the you know, I feel like one of the themes that we see in storytelling over and over again is like, in some ways, what defines us as human beings is the knowledge that we're going to die one day, (laughs) like understanding that fact. And so it makes sense that the sort of, you know, father figure from which we all flow in this worldview would struggle with that in the biggest way possible, not just his death, but the death of the universe. Yeah, exactly. Oh, Amanda, brilliant. As always, brilliant. I love it. There is one other version of the story that I want to touch on with the the well of Mimir and Odin losing his eye. So in this version, Mimir is one of the Asir and is sent as a hostage to the Vanir during their war. However, while in their custody, the Vanir kill Mimir and sent his head back to Odin. And now Odin kept this head. Not just being like, oh, my my poor sweet Mimir, what happened to you? He kept the head around because occasionally it would speak knowledge and answer questions, <laughs> which I think is really fun. Uh, but Odin eventually wanted the source of that knowledge. And so Mimir told him about the well. And so he asked Mimir what he would need to do in exchange for the knowledge from the well. And Mimir says again that it would require his eye. So once again, he removes his eye, drinks from the well, and gains the same knowledge that Mimir had. Dang. 
But even after all of this, Amanda, this is this is Odin's constant struggle. He is still hungry for knowledge, which leads us to our next story. So he decides that the best way to gain more knowledge is to sacrifice more of himself. I mean, yeah. Also, Julia, a much better plan than like taking it and then hoping no one comes to collect, which I think it happens in like fae stories all the time. Yes. No, but instead, Odin, very responsible. So what he does is he spears himself with his own spear through the chest and then hangs himself up on Yggdrasil. So he hangs there for nine nights. And also, this is a complete, like, because of this story, Odin is associated with the gallows and with hanged men. Mm. So he hangs there for nine nights. And after nine nights, he starts to see in the ground ruins, like uh, magical runes, right? Yeah. And so he frees himself and seeking out those runes, he gains the knowledge that he has been looking for. Right. Wow. And actually, Amanda, this brings us into our poetry corner. Yay! <laughs> yes, please. Because we can't have one of these episodes without a poetry corner. We simply can't. Oh, thank goodness. So this comes from the Havamal in the Poetic Edda. And this is Odin speaking of the knowledge that he gained from his days hanging from Yggdrasil. And remember, Odin only speaks in verse. So <laughs> this poetry is supposed to be like his literal words, except for the ending part. So. Hell yeah, dude. All right. Are we ready for Poetry Corner? So ready. We start with nine mighty songs I learned from the great son of Balthorn, Besla's sire. I drank a measure of the wondrous mead with the soul stirrer's drops I was showered. Ere long I bare fruit and throve full well. I grew and waxed in wisdom, word following word. I found me words, deed following deed, I wrought deeds. Hidden runes shalt thou seek and interpreted signs, many symbols of might and power, by the great singer painted, by the high powers fashioned, graved by the utterer of gods. For gods graved Odin, for elves graved Dane, Dvalin the Dallier for dwarves, all wise for Jotuns, and I of myself graved some for the sons of men." Dost know how to write, dost know how to read, dost know how to paint, dost know how to prove, dost know how to ask, dost know how to offer, dost know how to spend, dost know how to spend? Better ask far too little than offer too much, like the gift should be the boon, better not to send than overspend. Thus, Odin graved ere the world began. Then he rose from the deep and came again. Dang, it's beautiful and hypnotic. I, I really, some poetry seems like a, a thought that resonates in your head and, and lives unspoken. And some poetry really seems like a speech. And this is one of the latter. Yes, I can really like picture Odin saying this to someone, being like, oh, you seek the knowledge that I know? Well, first, here are the things that I've learned. And so basically, this like secret wisdom that Odin learned are magic, for lack of a better phrase. He's said to have learned nine runes for the nine days that he hung up on Yggdrasil. So he learned how to cure the sick, to calm storms, to turn weapons against his attackers, to make women fall in love all with a look, as well as change his shape into another person or animal. 
And I, I just, it's, it's really beautiful poetry besides the point, but it's also really interesting and really beautiful from a Norse mythology sense, because this is something that I'm sure we're going to talk about in later episodes as well. But the use of magic and practicing prophecy, which is a skill that he learned from the goddess Freya, were considered very feminine. Really? Only women practice magic. Right on. And we'll also talk about like someone like Loki also practiced magic. But again, that is like they look down on Loki for practicing magic, but no one looks down on Odin for practicing magic. But it seems hmm. like for the Norse, at least, Odin is the exception to this kind of feminization of magic. They're like, it's Odin, so he can he can know magic. He can do whatever he wants. He's always looking for knowledge, and that's what's important to him, you know? 100%. And I think it's also really interesting that we get to see, like, he's not born inherently powerful. He's not born the most, the biggest, the best, the one who knows it all. He needs to make some kind of choice, sacrifice, trade-off, and knows what it's like both to live without power and to live with power, which I think, you know, I, I think a lot about, like, inherited, you know, wealth and political dynasties and kind of all these things that we're thinking and talking about in the modern age. And there's a real difference between people who know what it's like to lack and people who don't. And I think it's really fascinating. I 100 percent agree. I've, I've also been thinking a lot as as we start to prep more of these It's Norse, of course, episodes. I, I can't help but make comparisons between Norse mythology and Greek mythology. And in Greek mythology, we talk a lot about how the gods are very human-like. Like the gods have their foils, the gods make mistakes, they they drink too much, they party too hard, they do things that we wouldn't like want humans to do, but they do, they make those mistakes. And Odin is, in a lot of sense, very human-like, but not in the way that someone like Zeus is, you know? Like Odin, we understand where he's coming from because he is given this burden. And like you said, he like kind of came from nothing and now he's here, but he's not infallible. You know what I mm -hmm. mean? He is absolutely fallible and we see what happens to him at the end of the day. And we'll, we'll talk about Ragnarok in just a second, but he, like everyone else in the world, God or mortal alike, is part of this cycle, whether he likes it or not. And he spends all of this time trying to fight against the inevitability of what is to come. And I think that is why I like him, because that is human in a lot of ways. Totally. And what a difference from the sort of like permanence of Greek mythology and the Greek gods, right? Like Olympus is there, Zeus will be there, all the gods will be there. He might, you know, lose this child, this hottie, right? Like yeah. this wife, this girlfriend, this power struggle, but they will be there. And I think that permanence, like we've touched on, is, you know, a tool of the Hellenistic state, right? Of like trying yeah. to say like, hey, this will be here. This is permanent. This is society. This is, you know, culture. Like this, this is it. And nothing will ever be greater than it. And nothing ever has been greater than it. And it seems like the, you know, this whole kind of foundational story of Norse mythology says, nope, like, we're all going to die. This will all change. Everything's impermanent. And it's what we kind of do with that knowledge that defines us. Yeah, I if I was still in college, Amanda, I would love to write a paper on how the apocalyptic nature of Norse mythology 
flavors the way that the stories are being told or what stories are being told. But for now, I, I am no longer 19 <laughs> and trying to write papers on apocalypticism. So here we are. Listen, that's what we have podcast for, baby. Yeah. So Amanda, I have one final story of Odin that I want to touch on before we touch on the final story of Odin. And this is Odin's Magic Mead. Yay! So as I mentioned before, Odin only speaks in verse. And as such, poetry was a gift that he granted only to a few. The way that he granted that gift was to offer anyone a sip of his magical mead, which he had originally stolen from a greedy giant named Satung, who hoarded the brew all to himself. The mead gave anyone who drank it the ability to speak in beautiful prose, which I think is incredible. Wow. And Julia, one of the oldest jokes of this podcast is that when I drink, I love to recite poetry at whoever is around That's me. True. So, you know, I'm just like Odin. Yeah, exactly. So Odin desired this magical mead that was being hoarded. And so snuck in, swallowed the entire vat, and then took the form of an eagle to escape an enraged Satang. So weighed down by the mead and with the giant in hot pursuit, Odin just barely managed to reach the safety of Asgard. He then spat the mead into a huge container and has had it guarded ever since. But it is said that a few drops spilled and fell to earth, which is where we get the mortal poets and our version of mead. Incredible. Isn't that beautiful? I love that so much. Like, oh, I love a couple that. of drops like escaped. And that's why that guy's such a good poet. He's just really good at it. It's truly amazing. And of course, makes you think like, God, what, what what if I had a whole sip? What if I had a whole glass? Yeah, I know. Imagine how we would. it would be like the story of Orpheus. We would just be moving mm. gods to tears and they can't have that. No, they certainly can't. And so that brings us to the final story, which is Ragnarok and the death of Odin, the prophecy yes. that he cannot avoid. And again, we've talked a little bit about Ragnarok on the show before, and we will continue to mention it because it is so fundamental to the story of all the gods, Asir and Vanir and more. But there will be many things that come to herald Ragnarok, according to the stories. First is the Great Winter, which is Fimble Winter, which is three consecutive winters that will ravage the earth with no summers between them. Which honestly sounds a little bit better than the slow creep of uh, global warming that's happening to us personally, but what can you do? Oy. It is said that the two wolves, Skull and Hati, who have always chased the sun and moon, will finally catch their prey, which will bring the world into darkness. Again, beautiful imagery. And of course, like if you're going to, again, a lot of mythology has like, oh, you know, uh, this creature or this person is chasing after the moon or the sun. And that's why, you know, we get the waxing and waning and the rise and fall. But I really like the idea of finally someone catches it and that's when the end of the world happens. Hmm. There's also Jormungandr, who is the sea serpent, who will break the land as the waters flood it and will spit venom across the land and sea, poisoning everything. Not a good time. The dome of the sky will split open and the fire giants of Muspelheim will burst forth. In this time, Odin will go into the roots of Yggdrasil looking for the council of Mimir. And despite everything that Odin knows, for he knows how this will all end because he received that prophecy, he and the other gods will gather up their arms and go off to fight. It's kind of a like poetic full circle moment here. And I'm, I'm kind of obsessed with that. Oh, yeah. 
So in his golden armor, Odin and his chosen warriors of Valhalla will clash with the giant wolf Fenrir and fight more bravely than any warriors in the history of the world. Not to brag or anything like that. <laughs> However, he and his warriors will be overwhelmed and swallowed by Fenrir. And he is avenged by his son Vidar, who rips apart the giant wolf's mouth. Because why not? Dang. I mean, they really, they go hard, Julia. We thought Grimm's fairy tales went hard. Uh, that's nothing. Yeah, that's nothing. So with Odin defeated, the world is engulfed in fire from the fire giant Surtur. Sometime later, though, it's not specified how much longer, the flames will die down and the earth will reappear from the seas. Life returns to the world. The gods Hodor and Baldur, who had died, are resurrected. And Odin and Thor's sons survive and reside in the temple of the gods. So while Ragnarok is the destruction of the world, it is not the end of the world. The prophecy, while tragic, kind of ends on a positive note that the world will be reborn afresh and anew, just without Odin. And that's the rub, isn't it? That life will go on just without us. Yes. You know, individually. And that is tough to hold in your brain. Yeah, it is. And like that is what flavors all of Odin. Again, like I, I don't mean to like keep harping on this, but it's so fundamental to who he is as a person, as a character in Norse mythology that you have to like just keep reminding yourself. You're like, yeah, he made that decision, but it's because he knows the prophecy. He knows Ragnarok is coming. He knows he's going to die, but he's going to try to do everything to prevent it anyway. And it's beautiful in that sense. Mm -hmm. This is the Odin that we see in the Poetic Edda and the Prose Edda. And of course, because he is such an impactful figure in Norse mythology, he has been portrayed many times in our modern pop culture. I'm sure as anyone knows, Amanda's already made the reference to it. And as anyone who is familiar with Marvel whatsoever uh, knows that he has been portrayed by Sir Anthony Hopkins, one of my favorite actors of all time. In some very relevant video game news, Odin is portrayed in God of War Ragnarok by another one of my favorite actors, Richard Schiff of the West Wing fame. Oh my God, I didn't know that. It's very funny to like watch the trailer and all of a sudden like Richard Schiff just starts talking and you're like, Richard Schiff, what are you doing here? It's very funny. He only took the job because his son was like, Dad, you can be in God of War. Be in God of War, Dad. Incredible. Yeah. Also interesting for our Lord of the Rings fans out there, Odin served as inspiration for the character of Gandalf. In a letter to Sir Stanley Unwin in 1946, Tolkien wrote complaining about the illustrations for The Hobbit, saying that Gandalf was too, quote unquote, disnified, which was a thing that you could say in 1946, which is wild. What? I know, right? Isn't that wild? If it was like a Jeopardy question to identify the first time that the phrase disnified was used in print, I would guess like... 1960. Exactly. Like you would think it would be post-World War II, but nope, not really. Stunning. Uh, and he said basically the illustrations portraying Gandalf as, quote, a figure of vulgar fun rather than the Odinic wanderer that I think of. I also love the phrase Odinic as a like way of describing someone who is Odin-like. Oh, yeah. I noticed actually a really good verb in Poetry Corner as well. Oh, yeah. The, um, the past tense of thrive. Throve. Throve. I know. We said it so Incredible. many times. Throve, throve, throve. I love it. Yeah. All in all, Amanda, Odin is 
placed as the figurehead of Norse mythology. But at the same time, his stories are focused on the larger scale of what the world was and will be. Uh, apart from the story of how he became associated with poetry and mead, he's really not involved in the kind of minutia and nitty gritty lives of the other gods in the same way that someone like Zeus is. His focus was, is, and always will be the attempt to gain knowledge to stop the prophecy of Ragnarok. But in that regard, there is no better figure for us to start. It's Norse, of course, because he ties everything together. And that is why he's the All-Father. Incredible. Not the fuck father, but the All-Father. That's Odin for you. That's Odin for you. I am so excited to start the series. I hope everyone is as excited as me. And I think that there's a lot of fun and more interesting stuff to come here on It's Norse, of course. Incredible. Julia, thank you. And thank you, researcher Sally, for bringing us such an incredible new series for 2023. I am so very stoked to learn more. Yeah, Sally was the one who got me really excited about the Richard Schiff in God of War Ragnarok <laughs> stuff. So we talked about it for like 20 minutes. I was like, Richard Schiff! <laughs> but remember, listeners, as you are trying to gain knowledge to stop the end of the world, stay creepy. Stay cool. Spirits was created by Amanda McLaughlin, Julia Shafini, and Eric Schneider, with music by Kevin McLeod and visual design by Allison Wakeman. Keep up with all things creepy and cool by following us at Spirits Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Tumblr. We also have all of our episode transcripts, guest appearances, and merch on our website, as well as a form to send us in your urban legends and your advice from folklore questions at spiritspodcast.com. Join our member community on Patreon, patreon.com slash spiritspodcast, for all kinds of behind-the-scenes goodies. Just a dollar gets you access to audio extras with so much more, like recipe cards, both alcoholic and non-alcoholic, for every single episode, director's commentaries, real physical gifts, and more. We are a founding member of Multitude, an independent podcast collective and production studio. If you like spirits, you will love the other shows that live on our website at multitude.productions. Above all else, if you liked what you heard today, please text one friend about us. That's the very best way to help keep us growing. Thanks for listening to Spirits. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.